Welcome to Ag Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Hi everyone, my name is Brett Ruffle, editor of Canadian Poultry Magazine. Welcome to the latest edition of our Influential Women in Canadian Agriculture podcast series. For this episode, I spoke with Dr. Barbara Cade Menon. She's a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Dr. Cade Menon is a world leader in researching phosphorus cycling in water, soils, and plants. She's developed and refined techniques that have become the global standard, and she's received the highest honors for her work. Dr. Cade Menon is also an adjunct professor at three universities. Through these appointments, she's helped numerous grad students, and she's also a strong advocate for ethics and science. First off, so thank you for joining us and congratulations on being recognized. Thank you. So could you start by just telling us a bit about your current role and your background in agriculture, like where and how did you get started? I'm a research scientist uh, with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. I've been here since 2008. Um, I am the nutrient cycling um, scientist. Um, I, so I, I specialize in soil fertility and agroecosystem health. So um, I, I study phosphorus. I'm a phosphorus biogeochemist. And of course, that's an important nutrient for crops, but it's also of concern if it moves into water because it causes algal blooms and water pollution problems. So my research works on both sides of the equation, looking at the soil, but also looking at water and loss. So I mean, my background in agriculture, I got into agriculture sideways for sure, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in biology. And I mean, I come from a family where I grew up near um, in Merritt, BC, which is, of course, home to um, Douglas Lake Health Com- Company and a lot of um, agriculture in that area. But my, my parents were teachers, although my grandfather's grandfather was a, uh, um, I guess he was a president of the BC Agricultural Society in the, I don't know, early 1900s. Anyway, um, I, I did a bachelor's degree in biology at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, with the aim that I was going to be a medical doctor. But as I started doing that, I started to realize that um, humans weren't necessarily the, the most interesting species. And I got you know interested in other things in biology. And then I, I actually got a summer job between second and third year university working at the Summerland Research Station for Agriculture Canada. And, I mean, it was like going to summer camp because I hire 30 students and we're just above the main beach on, on Okanagan Lake there. And it, it got me thinking that there might be other things you could do with a biology degree besides going to medicine. Although ultimately, I will say that the reason I got into agriculture was because it snowed in Edmonton in June. Um, I got accepted to a master's degree in forest pathology at the University of Alberta after I graduated with my undergrad degree, but I also got accepted to quantum soil science at UBC, and that year it snowed in June in Edmonton, and I wasn't going anywhere that got snow in June, so I ended up in soil science and agriculture. So, serendipity, I suppose, although ironically I'm in Saskatchewan where we do get snow in June. So you're glad you got into agriculture? You don't have any 
you don't ever wish that you got into medicine instead? Uh, medicine, I've got no regrets. Although agriculture, I did my master's degree in agriculture, but my PhD was actually in forestry, studying the effects of clear-cut logging. And then I went from there to um, UC Berkeley as a postdoc, where again, I was doing more forestry. I went from there to Stanford University, where I was doing more, some oceanography, as well as agriculture. I mean, I, I study phosphorus, so there's got it. I studied, I studied it across all sorts of disciplines and then came back into agriculture more when the job finally became available back in Canada in 2008. But I, I mean, it, I've always found it interesting. So what do you like best about your current role? Um, just the fact that I, I like to solve puzzles and, and, and research is like that. You get to ask interesting questions and trying to figure them out. And, and one of the advantages of static phosphorus is we still don't know as much about it as we do with nitrogen or carbon. For example, we know there's a nitrogen cycle with a, a set organisms that are involved and we still don't understand that for phosphorus. And, and so it's just, I just, I've always been one of those. I was one of those annoying kids who always had to ask why, and and yeah, I like I just like doing research and answering questions. So, what's the biggest risk you've taken in your career? Um, I moved to California with my husband when I so he could do his PhD. I was I was still working on my PhD. I was trying to write up. Um, but we, we delayed it, the move. I was supposed to be finished, but I, I had a very high risk pregnancy with my first son. And, and so ended up delayed and ended up in California uh, with a four month old baby, trying to write up a thesis while my husband was at school. And my husband was on NSERC, he's an engineer. But that was here, the Canadian dollar plummeted. So um, relative to the US dollar, so we were very poor. And, but at, you may, I made it work. My parents were very generous to help give a bit of child care. And, and, um, and then I convinced, once I finished my PhD, wrote, wrote it up and defended, I convinced someone at UC Berkeley that, to take a risk on me as a postdoc. And I even worked for free with some support with my parents so I, until we got our research grants going. So you know, just being able to say, well, let's make the best of the situation. And so you have a son or do you have any other kids? I have two sons, they're 26 and 19. And right now, actually both of them are working at the research station. Um, my oldest son has a degree in uh, computer engineering and he's actually our IT guru. So he's probably far more important at the research station than I am when everybody needs help with IT, especially right now while we're all working remotely. And my younger son is, is doing, he's entering secondary engineering at McGill University, but he's working as a research student at the, at the research station this summer. He's done that for the last couple of years. Not in my lab, he works in a different group, but. Do you end up collaborating at all with your kids? Or? <laughs> um, not really. I mean, my son has gotten used to me yelling down the stairs because, of course, we're all working from home right now, including my husband, um, when I need help with IT. But the roles are pretty hands-off in terms of hiring family members or anything like that. So my son works for uh, in a the younger one works in a different research group. I keep trying to convince them they both want to do agriculture or even for my younger son, environmental engineering, which is close to what I do. And who knows, maybe one of these days I'll convince him. But <laughs> mm -hmm. the first year, my, my 
older son worked one summer out at the research station for the forage group. I think he spent a lot of the summer pulling weeds. And my husband is a structural engineer who specializes in uh, structural reliability and you know what makes buildings fall down and hurricanes and things. And that particular summer, my son was working where I worked, pulling weeds, and my husband was working on a contract um, for Major League Baseball, looking at how to minimize risks from hurricanes and earthquakes, visiting all the Major League Baseball stadiums across the U.S. And I think my, my sons were not convinced that mom had the more interesting job. They thought dad's job was far cooler that summer. So, <laughs> so can you talk about a particular challenge you faced in your career and what you learned from it? Well, I mean, the particular challenge for me has been the past year with this issue with my voice where my vocal cords were damaged. And and I mean, it, it's been interesting as a woman in science, I, getting your voice quite, you know, the literal aspect of having a voice. We don't, it's taken a lot. I mean, I, when I was a grad student, I was often the only woman in, in any room that I was in for conferences. So learning to be able to, you know, stand up and speak clearly and express my opinions and, and then having my voice literally taken away from me this past year. Um, I, I did actually give some, attend some conferences as keynote speakers and presenters last summer. And with the help of, I had to, at that point before the surgery, I had to use um, a voice amplifier and my voice sounded pretty horrible judging by the expressions on people's faces. And it, I don't know, it, it, I just had to learn to be really patient and deal with, you know, I'm used to at this point in my life having respect you know, earn some respect at least and, and sort of losing that a little bit because I sounded so awful and, and even just, you know, people would laugh because it sounded terrible. Someone accused me of sounding like a, a James Bond villain. And so, it, I don't know. And then, of course, I finally got my voice back and we moved into this, this pandemic. And I, at least if nothing else, I've had lots of practice for working at home. But... For those who don't know, could you explain uh, what happened to your voice? Oh, I, I went home for what was supposed to be a very minor day surgery, but when the doctor went to put the, the breathing tube in, because I had to be under anesthetic, there was a problem with the, the, the tube size that was used, and it actually caused major scarring on my vocal cords, and I, which required first of all, a lot of time where I wasn't allowed to speak to, to try to get it to recover. Um, and then I had to have surgery to remove some of the scar tissue. And then again, sit very quietly to recover. And although my voice sounds still kind of rough now, it, it, it was far better than what it used to sound like. Although I was trying to convince my son, who is the computer tech, to help me find something to make me sound more like Darth Vader, because I figured at least I could command some respect if I sounded like that. I sounded a little more like a mini mouse. It was when I could talk. <laughs> this is definitely an improvement. <laughs> so is this still going to be an ongoing recovery process? Or um, I, I don't know. I do work with a, a speech therapist, and there are things I have to do to be careful because they warned me that the risk is that it could come back again. Um, it, it, things never completely heal. A vocal cord tissue is very, very fragile. Um, but so far, so there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm taking lots of sips of water as I talk to you right now, for example. I have to keep things very moist. And, and what would you say is your proudest achievement or defining moment? 
Well, a lot of what I do, it was kind of just, just a certain amount of serendipity choosing to go one place or the other. I, I, I do some fairly advanced chemistry. Um, I use uh, a phosphorus NMR spectroscopy, nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy, which is the same as the people who know what an MRI is. Um, use a big magnet to, to give you some advantage. It helps you to understand the forms of phosphorus that are there. And, and, and I sort of got into it sideways. I had a chance to do a PhD working with someone who just happened to be an expert more in carbon. And she said, do you want to try this for phosphorus? And it was kind of the right place at the right time. It really hadn't been done before. And I got to test things and try new things that not everybody else could. For example, a, uh, the method for trying to get the phosphorus out of soil so we can put it into the magnet is a more challenging aspect. And, and I got to play with different techniques. And I, for the one that I, one of the methods I tried, my, even my supervisor said that she didn't think it would work, but, but that I could go ahead and try it. And, and it did. And that's the method everyone uses now. And so having the freedom to be able to play with things and be on the cutting edge of something. I, I mean, I've just been really lucky with a lot of it. And even for the other parts of my career, I mean, I got to go to places and work with people and do things because I, even when I was at Stanford, I was sort of working part-time where my kids were small and it gave me a bit of freedom to, if, if something came up that I was interested in doing, like looking at some samples from oceanography samples or things, I, it, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career with that, so... So what's the best piece of advice you've received and what advice would you give to others who are thinking about pursuing a career in ag? I mean, it, it, for anything, and this applies more, not just for agriculture research, but any kind, is just not to be afraid to try something new or different, even if others think it might not work, to be able to trust your instincts and judgment and say, well, what, what harm is there in trying it anyway? If it doesn't work, we've learned something as much as if it does work, and not being afraid to sort of branch out and to try something, go, go somewhere, you know, leave home with a small baby to move to California or go back, leave California to come back to Canada, um, saying yes to opportunities like that when they come up and not worrying about, well, I mean, you have to, of course, plan to some extent, but still being, being willing to say yes to trying things. And now a word from our sponsor, Bayer Crop Science. For over 150 years, Canadian women have been supporting Canadian agriculture with their hard work and innovative thinking. That's why Bayer Crop Science is proud to support influential women in Canadian agriculture, a program created to help identify and promote women across every facet of Canadian agriculture. Congratulations to the winners, including Dr. Barbara Cade Menon, whose work has been recognized around the world. You are an inspiration to us all. So if you can go back to the start of your career, uh, what advice would you give to yourself? Some, uh, similar again, I, there are still things I sometimes wish I'd said yes to, that I, or been, been tried something a bit more. I mean, I, I, the one advantage of getting older is you just get far less worried about what people think about. I mean, I'm established in my career. I'm, I, I, I can do things and say things now, and I kind of wish I'd had that confidence when I was younger. But again, I think that comes with age for everyone, right? So what keeps you excited about agriculture? Well, just again, the, 
that there's still so many discoveries to be made and things to do. As I said at the beginning, I study phosphorus, and uh, phosphorus has been, although it's an essential nutrient, it's been poorly understood compared to nitrogen simply because we didn't have the techniques, but now we do. In addition to doing the NMR work that I do, I also do work at the Canadian Light Source, um, and these are techniques that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we just weren't available. So there's, there's real opportunities to learn something new. Um, and again, there's always going to be new challenges. I don't I mean, as we worry about climate change or, or in, indirect effects, we're now starting to see some soil acidification for long-term nitrogen use and how that affects other nutrients like phosphorus. And it, that's, what, that's what, I think that, that's what keeps me excited, that there's always a new question to answer. So are there any new directions or emerging topics that you're excited about? Well, I mean, I think I would have answered this differently a year or so ago, <laughs> but um, I, this one of the things that, that this pandemic has at least made clear is that while globalization has been great to give producers access to markets outside of Canada and 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 it'll of course allow us to eat things what we when we want. Um, from wherever we can import anything. It has also made pretty clear the need to make sure that we still keep our local agricultural foods chains and active. I mean, when I was in Vancouver, I was in Vancouver as I did my master's and PhD at UBC, and there was a lot of pushback against having the agricultural land reserve because the argument was that we could just buy our food from California. And then when I was in California, there was, again, agricultural land was being lost at a rapid rate um, because the argument was we could uh, get our food from, from Mexico. And, and I think one thing this pandemic has made clear is we've been very fortunate because uh, the supply, they've been, we're still allowed to bring things in from other places, although that has been disrupted. And uh, what, would, what would have happened if highways have been closed and we couldn't do that and so just making sure that I think it's brought more people are gardening and people are you know becoming much more interested in their local food supplies something else that's also really interesting to me was that there was some news stories that came out oh, I don't know about probably February and March about the fact that they developed techniques to to in, in tr build these trailers to ship up north so they can grow microgreens using solar power in in places that have uh, you can't just go out and garden year round and and the fact that you can buy these grow lights that okay maybe the technology was developed more for um, production of non-food crops like marijuana but it does mean that there's a chance now to grow things year-round locally and in ways that we couldn't do before so, and I think it's just grow, brought a lot more realization to where our food comes from and, and making sure that we protect locally access to things. I heard even a lot of Canadian consumers are getting more into growing their own food and even like yeah. backyard chickens have taken off which I think is a good thing. I mean, I think it has brought home the fact that so while it's nice that I can eat whatever I want, even moving from California, which is clearly a different market than a small town in Swiftcurrent, I was impressed at how I could still get virtually anything I could have gotten from when I was in California. And, and I, 
we take that for granted and it's been, if nothing else that comes out of this pandemic, it, it, it yeah, gets people more interested in where their food comes from and, and what they can produce themselves. So how do you see the ag industry changing in the next five to 10 years? I, I think in much the same way that there's going to be, I mean, a push, again, markets are going to change and there's always going to be politics, right? Uh, of what, who buys what, where. And so maybe again, we come back to, instead of outsourcing everything that we, we learn, figure out how to produce things in Canada or even locally back to this. And again, we have to still have to take into account costs and such, but I think that's yeah, hard to say, who knows what the next major issue will be, but, but it, I think that it may be going from, and there'll always be room for large farms, depending on what you're going for some things, but having things more locally to it, smaller scales sometimes would, I think might, who knows, might come back. So what would you like to see more of? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see people being interested in where their food comes from. Um, one of, even living at a, a small committee like Swift Current, where virtually the agriculture is a huge, the main industry here, um, they, they put on the, the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture and some of that various pe people who work at the research station put on something called a food farm to show, I think I can't remember what grade there are, grade three or grade four kids, where their food comes from. And I, I think people have gotten away from, from that. And, and I'd like to see more of that come back, that, that people enjoy having gardens and producing their own food. I was wondering, so what do you think is important to recognize the achievements of women in, in agriculture? I mean, compared to when I started out, as I said, I, as a, a woman doing research in soil chemistry, uh, as a female graduate student, I was often the only woman in the room at sessions at conferences and things. And, and that's changing now. And I think it's great that, that it, it shouldn't matter what gender you are and it shouldn't matter. I mean, I interviewed for a job once uh, as a, to be a professor in soil science. And I was asked if pregnancy had made me stupid uh, by me. <laughs> someone in the department and and you know just it shouldn't matter what gender you are but it this there's and it sounds me in a way that we still feel we need to promote women um but i think they're an important voice in at all levels of agriculture from the farm to the research and onward and, and so it's i think nice to get some recognition there's committees for women in agriculture within agriculture canada and the same thing with the the U.S. Soil Scientist Society, for example, um, and, and part of me wishes we didn't have it. I mean, I was the past president of the Canadian Soil Science Society, and I was actually the third female president, and then we had four women follow me from there, which I think is great. I, and I've been really fortunate in my career because from my PhD and master's, I've had a lot of female supervisors. In fact, three of my, the four people on my research committee as, uh, during my PhD were women. I worked with two of the three people I worked with were postdoc and, and research afterward were women, but not every everybody gets that kind of mentoring or recognition and and particularly outside of Canada I think women in, in rural areas are key to, to food production and it, it deserves to be recognized. 
I read in your nomination that you've mentored many women in your career. So I was wondering, is there one specific woman who mentored you that you wanted to highlight? I, I've had, as I said, several women, and I think they've all played important roles. I mean, when I was doing my master's degree, Shannon Birch was my main supervisor, and she was also um, my supervisor uh, for my, one of my supervisors for my PhD. Um, Shannon, at the time, she was at um, the, the, UBC, but then she was at the BC Ministry of Forests. Um, she was a microbiologist. Carolyn Preston was a, a cell chemist with, she was with Forestry Canada, but she's the one I did my NMR work with. Uh, at, at Stanford, I worked with um, uh, Pam Matson, who was the dean of, uh, I was in the geology department, um, and and Adina Pytown with oceanography. And so I've, I've been really fortunate. I and. I don't think I appreciated at the time just how many women I worked with. Even when I was a graduate student at UBC, we had, I think at one point, more female graduate students than we had male graduate students, which much to the delight of all the male students coming from places like University of Alberta. <laughs> so it was, I, I, I was kind of shielded a little bit from not realizing the norms of, of that there weren't as many women maybe in, in, in agricultural research. As I said, it was, became a bit of a surprise going to conferences where I would be the only woman in the room. But it also showed me that it's, it was possible you could have a family and you can have a career. And, and again, I've been really, really fortunate to have very supportive husband and kids and parents and um, and I hope, that, and again, I think it's great. We've moved, we're slowly moving away, but, but I still see women who have, there are, there'll be questions about whether, you know, to hire them because they might take time off to have children or things like that. And, and you shouldn't have to choose. You can, you can't, may not be able to do it all at once, but you can do it all eventually. And it shouldn't matter what gender you are. So why is it important to you to return the favor and mentor others? Well, I mentor. I mean, I don't necessarily choose women over men. I I have a lot of women who choose me and ask me to mentor them. But the same thing, you have to give back and 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 having examples and women who I had a student from China who's now gone back and she's become a professor and she said it was you know, nice to have a role model to show that there were choices you, you could have you could combine it all somehow and still have a family and still have a career and just learn to work maybe differently and it's nice to see other other options and, and sometimes for women to, to it's just a different perspective you get from from having a female mentor than, than a male mentor although i've also had male mentors like Liz lab which were really important in my career he's a professor at abc so so how has the role of women evolved in your profession? Um, it depends on, on certainly for the, as a soil scientist, um, there were always, there've always been a fair number of women in biology and soil biology, and now there's more coming in for chemistry and physics. And again, I, the group, when I went through with my PhD at UBC, there were actually three of us who got PhDs all around the same time, um, who are women, who are professors. Um, Amaya Kurzak's a professor at UBC, and Margaret Schmidt's a professor at Simon Fraser University. And, and it, it, to me, it, it, it's just become the norm now. People don't question it nearly as much. I, I look at 
I am an adjunct professor at the University of Saskatchewan, where there are many female professors now. It, it, it's just become the norm. We, we don't, it, as, a, as a member of the US Soil Science Society, having a female president is considered a really big deal. And yet, this is said in the Canadian Soil Society, I think we have four in a row. Um, it, it, having, it, it, and, and I think that's great. They just women should be able to make their choices and do what they want and it shouldn't as i said it shouldn't matter what gender you are male or female so uh, do you have any hidden talents <laughs> no <laughs> how do you like to I, how do you like to pass the time in your downtime Oh, I like to read. I like to do puzzles and crosswords and I garden and I like to cook um, so What's the last book you've read? Oh, good question. Oh, I was just I was just reading um, the Secret Garden. How's that for an old Francis uh, Hodgkin Burnett? I noticed the movie on television. And decided I wanted to read the book. So again, it's more of a children's book. Something I read as as a child. But I also read been reading a lot of female authors for, for some reason. Anna, I've gone back to reading Anna Green Gables and things during this past year as I've been sitting at home uh, on quarantine. I've been exploring uh, Little Women with all and, and Rosemary Alcott just because that was on, you know, when the movie came out. So. Yeah, I've gone through pretty much every TV show on quarantine, so I've moved on to, to reading books. <laughs> Exactly. I've kind of done. Although I've also been trying to see movies that I haven't haven't watched in in years. Just you know, ones that I, I get a bunch of, and also just exploring really old movies. Um, I watched Casablanca again the other day. I haven't seen that in years. So that's about all the questions I have. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to add? No. No. All right. Great. Well, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Yeah. You too. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Egg Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Egg Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes.